Yes, you can certainly uh, applaud that. That was incredible. And uh, what's also incredible is that our video production team uh, put that together and there wasn't one drop of sweat on anyone because it was 143 degrees in Tennessee last week. Uh, but I do want to acknowledge, not only were hundreds of students there, having their lives moved to live on mission. We had a lot of staff there. Their lives were changed. But our team members, over 30 team members, volunteers who took their vacation time from work to get on a bus with some sweaty, stinky teenagers and to go sleep in dorms with some sweaty teenagers and to go serve with them and to pour their lives into our students. So can we thank our team members? We have a lot of scripture to get to today. As we continue in John chapter 13, I'll pick it up in verse 17. We're gonna go all the way to verse 30. But before we do, we want to acknowledge with a tremendous heart of gratitude the decision made by the Supreme Court on Friday to, to affirm life, to support life. We, we celebrate that. We celebrate the preservation of life, but this is important. We celebrate this with a heart of humility, with a heart of gratitude. And the reason we come to it with a humble heart as we celebrate is because this is God answering 50 years of prayer. So in this, our humble hearts are postured toward God to give him the glory. Pastor Jason preached in our Leading a Legacy series um, last year, back in December. Preaching from Psalm 78, we are to tell of the glorious deeds of the Lord for generations and generations. We get to tell of the glorious deeds that God has done and will continue to do. And as a church, we stand on the truth of his word. That's where we stand. But also as a church, we stand on the truth of his word with compassion and with love. Because you may be wondering, hearing all of this and watching social media blow up, how, how do we respond to this? Interestingly enough, a few weeks ago on the Grow People podcast, are you listening to the Grow People podcast? Okay, those of you who are not, this is a great opportunity for you to jump in. Uh, you can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can just go to our website, revolution.church, and click on Grow People Podcast. The May 11th episode, Pastor Jason spoke about this, not knowing that Friday would be the day uh, that the Supreme Court would make that decision. But he spoke about what the Bible says about abortion. He spoke about what the church believes about abortion. And then he spoke about what our response is as believers, as followers of Christ. We talked for about an hour on this, so I highly recommend you go listen to that. And then the second thing, and this is where our church has always been, and we will continue to be here. And that is clearly to come alongside women and love them, regardless of the decisions that they may have made or decisions that may have been made for them. We love you. And we will sit with you and we will hold your hand and we will walk you through anything that is going on in your life or has gone in your life. And we have pastors here that will do that. And we have outside counselors that we can refer you to, to talk to. 
But it is important as a church to continue what we've always done. And we will support and care for and love women who are considering what's next in their life. We'll talk about the alternatives that are right in front of them. And we'll do this all with the compassion of the one who had compassion on us. That's the important thing. Because the gospel, the mercy and grace as seen through Jesus's life, death and resurrection gives us no other option. So we celebrate this, but we celebrate it with humility and thanksgiving. Thank you for your prayers, your faithfulness. Today we celebrate God's faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful, so grateful, even to the point that the song we just sang that was planned weeks ago, not knowing what would happen Friday, starts out with, before we spoke a word, you spoke over us. Thank you for speaking over us. Thank you for loving us before the foundation of the earth. Thank you for hearing our prayers the last 50 years. It gives us great hope knowing that you, in your sovereignty, inclined your ear toward us, toward those who have been praying for the preservation of life. And Father, with that same compassion, with that same love, we pray for those who have made decisions in their lives. But we pray this coming to the one who has infinite mercy and infinite grace. We love you so much, Lord. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We got a lot to do today, okay? You ready? John chapter 13. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna read all of the verses because it does paint a pretty big picture and some of these verses are a little complicated. So I wanna read the whole story and then we're gonna go back and we're gonna go verse by verse. Sound good? Deal? Deal, okay. Verse 17, John chapter 13. Open up your Bibles. If you know these things, Jesus is talking about the example of serving one another. Pastor Chad, who did a great job. Can we give it up for Pastor Chad? Did a great job in the first part of John chapter 13, talking about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Then Jesus says, hey, I'm just giving this to you as an example. If you follow me, it's gonna go well for you. So if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Then Jesus shifts a little bit. He says, I'm not speaking to all of you. I know who I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, here's another shift. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him, that disciple, to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. 
So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, entered into Judas. Jesus said to Judas, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, go buy what you need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, Judas, he immediately went out and it was night. That's the title of today's message. It was night. Okay, you got the picture of the story? Now let's make it a little more clear. Thank you. We've just seen Jesus serving his disciples. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This actually means blessed and highly favored. So if you're wondering where blessed and highly favored came from, there it is. My wife has a t-shirt that says blessed and highly caffeinated. It did not come from here, but it's a good t-shirt. Jesus says in verse 18, I'm not speaking about all of you. So those two verses together, hey, you're blessed if you do these things, and I'm not speaking to all of you. Jesus is saying, if you have just outwardly a desire to go do good things and do Christian things, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those who follow me, those who abide in me, those who love me, those who believe in me. If you go do these things, you will be blessed. It has to be an inward transformation an inward heart change. So first point up on the screen, activity, all the things we do, all the Christian things we do, does not translate to eternity. Transformation translates to eternity. There has to be a point where we do these things, where we serve, where we give, where we wash each other's feet. There has to be a point where that is out of our heart transformation because we believed in Jesus. Busyness can take you in the opposite direction. Transformation takes us into the light of Jesus. Jesus goes on to quote Psalm 41, I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He knows he's chosen Judas. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. What he's saying here is there's purpose to me choosing Judas. It's so that the scripture can be fulfilled. In God's sovereignty, everything is under his control. Everything's under his authority. So Judas's betrayal of Jesus didn't thwart God's plan. It fulfilled God's plan. And just so you know, that, that lifting of a heel, I'll try to do this without falling down. That, maybe I'll hold on to this. That lifting of the heel is, is like a horse kicking you. And who does he kick? The person who's been caring for him, the person who's been feeding him, the person who's been loving him. The reference in Psalms is about David, who had a friend who was very close to him, and David's friend betrayed him, just as Judas, friend of Jesus, will betray the Savior. Verse 19, I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, then when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Jesus is saying here, just so you know, I know what's gonna happen. Just so you know, I know that I will be betrayed. I don't want you to think that I'm being caught off guard, that I'm somehow, that I somehow missed this, that I've made a mistake. I want you to know so that your faith is not shaken when I am betrayed. He wants them to be prepared for this so that they will go out and continue to live on the mission that he gives them. Anybody ever struggle with the fear of the unknown? Just me. Okay. Jasper, fear of the unknown? Anyone watching online? Okay. Fear of the unknown. I struggle with that. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know he does. So our antidote to the 
to the fear of the unknown, the struggle with that is God's faithfulness. What he says will come to pass. It's his character, it's his nature, it's one of his attributes. He can't make mistakes. That gives, I don't know about you, that gives me great confidence to trust in God. Jesus also wants his disciples to know what to do moving forward. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. If you know me, you know God. And if you're received by anyone, when you tell them about me, they receive me, and in turn, receive the Father. Because as he said in John 10, I and the Father are one. He goes, look, I got, I got 12 y'all, and 11 of you are abiding in me, trusting in me, believing me, loving me, serving in response to that. There's one guy here who's not doing any of that, and he's not gonna tell anybody about me. But y'all have a mission. You guys have a mission to go and tell. We have a mission to go and tell. Remember, this is to the disciples, but it is for us. We need to go tell that story. We were in darkness. We were in darkness, and then Jesus brought us into his marvelous light, and now we get to tell the world that our lives have been transformed. And this is all happening at the Passover. It's all happening at the Passover Seder, which is the Passover dinner. I have participated in at least 50 Passover Seders. Seder is the Hebrew word for order. And in the Passover Seder, you would tell the story of the freedom of the exodus of the Jewish people from Egypt. And this story would be read out of something called a Haggadah. Haggadah is a Hebrew word. It means tell. So you're telling the story of the freedom of the Jewish people coming out of Egypt from the oppression of Pharaoh, culminating with the Jewish people being told, go slaughter a sinless, perfect lamb that was only raised in the shepherd's fields between Jerusalem and Bethlehem, Interesting that that's where Jesus was born. They would slaughter this sinless, perfect lamb, spreading the blood, and that blood sacrifice would save the people. That's the telling of the story of Passover without getting into all of it. Well, there's a story here all through this book, and there's an order to that. There's an order to the gospel. All of the Old Testament prophecies had to be fulfilled as Jesus just told us. So Jesus had to be born. Jesus had to live. Jesus had to choose his disciples. He had to choose Judas, the one who would betray him. He had to be betrayed. He had to be turned into the authorities where he would sacrifice up himself as the sinless, perfect Passover lamb, shedding his blood to save the people. Do you see the order there? Do you see the sovereignty of God in that? Again, if we can trust him to fulfill all of this, we can trust him for our lives. Incredible. And there's a shift in tone. After he gives them the mandate to go tell the story, and don't miss, we all have a mandate to go tell the story. Just like they're telling the story of Passover, we have the mandate to tell the story of how Jesus changed our lives. And there's a shift in tone. After saying these things, verse 21, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you, one of you 12, will betray me. We've seen this word troubled before. It means greatly distressed. This was hard for Jesus. Just like he was distressed at the tomb of his friend Lazarus when he wept. 
just as he was distressed when he contemplated the sins of the world on his shoulders facing the cross. He was troubled. But I want you to picture this. This was a difficult conversation for Jesus. You ever have a difficult conversation with somebody? You dread having that conversation? Maybe you finally get, you wanna text it to them, but you know that's not gonna work. Your voice is trembling. Maybe you have some tears welling up in your eyes. And you tell them something difficult. This is where Jesus is in this moment. He's troubled. He's distressed. And why is he distressed? Why is he troubled? He's God. Yeah, he's fully God, but he's fully man. And in his humanity, he is distressed that his friend is going to betray him. But he's also distressed that his friend is going to walk out of the room into eternity forever into the darkness, into the night. He's distressed that his friend is going to leave the only one he needs. We all know somebody that we've been praying for that is walking in the darkness. And how heartbreaking is it to know that they're going to be walking in the darkness if they don't trust in Jesus for the next billion years. If that does not distress you, if the lost does not distress you and make you troubled, I don't know what would, what would. But here's the deal. Here's what makes Jesus amazing. He was that troubled, yet he was willing to go through the trouble of crucifixion for the purpose and the plan of God. The purpose and the plan of God was for him to die for the sins of the world. He was willing to do that out of love. He was willing to do that out of love. Would we choose that? Would we choose, knowing that somebody was going to betray us, would we choose to go through the trouble and the hurt for the purpose and plan of God in our lives? Probably not. That's what makes Jesus' response so incredible. He chose it. So why did Judas betray Jesus? A little background on, on Judas. Judas would have been a zealot, Zealots were a band of militants. They were, they were always you know, walking around with knives in their hands, and that's not a value statement if you have a knife in your pocket right now, which is about three quarters of you, I know. But, but they, they would have been wanting to, throw, to overthrow the Roman government by force. That's what I mean by a band of militants. He was zealous for that. He was excited about that. He was excited that Jesus came because he's thinking Jesus is going to be the king is going to do that. Jesus is going to overthrow the Roman government. Yeah, I want a Messiah. I want a Messiah like Jesus. He wanted a Messiah who would overthrow the Roman government. What he got was a Messiah who got on his knees and washed his feet. Not the Messiah that Judas wanted. He wanted somebody who was going to free him from oppression. He didn't know he was getting someone who was going to free him from the oppression of sin. So here's Judas, chosen by Jesus to fulfill the prophecy. It was a front row seat at everything Jesus did. Judas went to Jesus Christ University. He... He was in every sermon. He saw all the miracles. He probably participated in some of the miracles. He was in every prayer. He was next to Jesus, but he didn't believe. You might say he was playing church. Yeah, ouch. It's playing church sitting in the seats and never having his life changed. Knowing a lot about Jesus, 
but not knowing Jesus. We have week to week here some of the best Bible teaching I've ever sat under. Yet you can sit under this Bible teaching and never have a transformed life. You can learn some Hebrew, maybe you'll learn some Greek, maybe a little Latin as we learned a few weeks ago, but not believe, not have your life changed. For Judas, it's not like he lost his salvation and betrayed Jesus. He never had it in the first place. He only wanted something from Jesus. He didn't want Jesus. He didn't want him as Lord. Some of us want him just as a savior. Get me out of jail free. But some of us don't want to follow him. Judas was only there because he found Jesus useful. Let that sink in. Write that down if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, I don't understand that. (laughs) I take notes at every sermon, not because I'm a pastor. It's because I won't remember. I have a stack of journals uh, for 15 years of of messages that I've sat in. It's just really helpful. It's really helpful to remember some of this stuff. Judas was only there because he found Jesus useful. And when Jesus stopped being useful to Judas, when Jesus no longer filled his need... He walked away. Isn't that the plot of basically every movie in Hollywood? I don't have a lot of context for movies, but I'll fess up. I've never seen a Star Wars, any of them. Uh, I know. Uh. <laughs> and I've never seen Star Trek, uh, never seen Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. You may leave the church after I say this next thing, and that's okay. There's a lot of great churches around. <laughs> I have never seen any of the catalog of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Gasp. (laughs) I know. I know. Not that I don't like movies. I just don't have the attention span to sit down and watch a movie. But prior to conversion, prior to Jesus changing my life 15 years ago, I did see The Godfather (laughs) and Godfather Part Two over a hundred times, no exaggeration. So I have some context there, but think about the other movies. There's always a betrayal, and the betrayal happens when the boss is no longer useful to the one who betrays him. So whether it was the Marlon Brando Don Corleone or the Al Pacino Don Corleone, they were being betrayed, whether it was Paulie or Tessio or Mo Green or Hyman Roth or Michael's brother Fredo. See, the Godfather fans are trying not to laugh out loud, but they know what I'm talking about. Betrayed when they were no longer useful. Now, before you start thinking about times that you have been betrayed, that's not where I'm going here, because that puts us in the place of Jesus, and we're never Jesus in the story. In case you're wondering, it's never him. We're always the other guy. We're always the other guy in the story. We are Judas in the story. So we have to be careful how we see Jesus. Do we see him as just being useful? Or do we see him for who he is? And we betray him when we don't get what we want from him. And the betrayal doesn't have to be as bold as Judas selling out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Our betrayal is when we go and find another savior. When we go find the savior of money, or the savior of a companion, or the savior of pleasure, of sex, or the savior of notoriety, or the savior of Facebook likes. Jesus wasn't the Messiah Judas wanted. But Jesus was the Messiah that Judas needed. And unfortunately, Jesus was the Messiah that Judas rejected. Don't reject Jesus for another Messiah or the Messiah you want. Point up on the screen. Is Jesus the Messiah you want or is Jesus 
the Messiah you need. Think about it. Is Jesus only here to fulfill your purpose for your life? Or is he here to fulfill his purpose for your life? I've tried it both ways. It's better the second way. Is Jesus the Messiah you want or is Jesus the Messiah you need? And after he says he's going to be betrayed, there's some confusion on the part of the disciples. Verse 22, the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. Huh. We have some context. We know Judas Iscariot was the one who betrayed him. Anybody here name their kid Judas Iscariot? Probably not. Anybody here name their kid Benedict Arnold Jones? No, probably not, because we know post-Revolutionary War, he was the one that sold out the U.S. Army at West Point. The disciples don't know that. To the disciples, he's just a guy named Judas who has the money bag. So they're, they're a little confused. That's why in one of the descriptions of the Gospels in Matthew, all the disciples are like, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Even Judas says, is it me, Lord? Jesus tells him, you said it. But they're, they're wondering not, not about the big betrayal of Jesus going to the cross. They're wondering if they're betraying him like we betray him. Do we stop following him? Or that's what they're asking. Lord, am I going to stop following you? Is it, is it me? Am I going to be the one who's going to disobey you? Am I going to disobey the commands of the Lord? Those are questions that we have to ask ourselves as we see this in the story. Verse 23, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at table at Jesus' side. The, the reason I, I read the whole passage was so we could get this picture. So the one whom Jesus loved is John. John who wrote the gospel according to John. And he's not bragging here. He's not saying, I don't know if you know this, fellas, but... King of Kings loves me. He's not saying it that way. He's overwhelmed by the mercy of Jesus. He's overwhelmed that he gets to even sit at the table. And he also understands his name doesn't matter. It's Jesus's name that needs to be lifted higher. When we walk out these doors today, it's not our name. It's Jesus's name that needs to be lifted higher. Now, now it's going to get fun. Now it's going to get fun. So Simon Peter motions to him, John, to ask Jesus whom he was speaking. So that disciple, John, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Now this is where the picture really has to be painted because it's been painted poorly for us in the past. Not here but in the 1600s or whenever da Vinci lived. You know that picture? That ain't it. That's a picture of da Vinci's Last Supper. That is not what it looked like at all. Jesus didn't walk into Applebee's and say, hey, I need a table for 26. <laughs> and the host said, it's only 13 of you. He said, I know we're all gonna sit on the same side. That's... That, that's <laughs> Is that what you're taking away from this? <laughs> You'll mess the joke up on the way out anyway. <laughs> Jesus went into a restaurant. I don't know what else. Um, in Roman culture, in Roman culture, they would have reclined if they were upper class. So this was in what's called a Roman triclinium. That's the dining room in Roman culture. They would have been reclining. But this was Passover. And on Passover... Everybody reclines. Now, we did not do that at our Passover dinners uh, growing up. Uh, many of the uh, adults, and, and now me in the Stein family, have indigestion. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we would never lie on our side and eat, you know, lamb. There's not enough Prilosec in the world for this. So, <laughs> this is important. It's important to understand this in the story. So, 
you would be on the ground, on your left side, with your left elbow on the ground, and you would be eating with your right hand. So here's a better picture of the Last Supper. They were at a U-shaped table. We would have to take three six-foot tables and put them together. They probably had one table shaped like a U. They're all on their left side. They're all eating like this. I want you to pay particular attention to the left side. The guy closest to you, that's John. To his left is Jesus. You know, it said that John was leaning against Jesus' side. Side actually means bosom or breast. So you would be eating and leaning against the chest of the dude behind you. That's how it rolled. Guess who's to Jesus' left? In the honor seat. Jesus is the host. To his left is the honor seat. Guess who's sitting there? Judas Iscariot. So now I'm going to tell you the story of how it really happened. So John is leaning on his side like this, and he's eating, and Peter, and if you watch The Chosen, you know Peter just blurting out whatever. Peter's showing a little bit of discretion. He's sitting, can we get the picture up again? I'm sorry. Peter's probably on the other side, okay? Peter's on the other side, and he kind of leans over, hey, John, ask him who it is. Because Jesus has just said, somebody's going to betray me. They don't know what's going on. And Peter's like, ask him, go ahead. And here's John, the one whom Jesus loved, with his left shoulder up against Jesus's breast, trying to act this out the best way possible <laughs> without pulling a hamstring, but it's a little late. He leans back. Who is it? <laughs> Peter wanted me to tell you. <laughs> Who is it? And then here's the beauty of this moment. Jesus is leaning against Judas Iscariot, and he says, to John, it's he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. Note the intimacy of this moment. It's, it's not this big announcement, hey, Who's going to betray you? Jesus, who is it? It's the guy I'm going to give the bread to. Uh-uh. There's an intimacy to this because there's an intimacy to love. And to love people, you have to get close to them. Jesus takes the bread and feeding somebody if the host feeds you, that's a big deal. And he gives Judas Iscariot the morsel of bread. Jesus is loving him. We found out from Pastor Chad last week that Jesus loves to the end. We're going to hear more about love next week when Dave, our student minister, preaches. The love that we're seeing here is the overwhelming, never-ending love that we just sang about. This is the one who is going to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. He knows it, yet he loved him to the end. That's what made Judas angry. Judas wanted a king. He didn't want a servant. We got a king and a servant. And isn't it awesome to know that Jesus, loving his enemies like that, will love us to the end? And he'll continue to love you. How do we know that? Look at the cross. Do you think for a second, our heavenly father is going to say, I love you so much, I'm going to send my perfect, holy, righteous, blameless, sinless, 
Passover lamb of a son to the cross to die a horrific, excruciating death, and then I'm gonna leave you, and I'm gonna say, I'm done with you, I'm done with you, David, I'm done with you, Brett, I'm done with you, Leanne, no. And I hope that gives you hope when you walk out of here that you are loved. We serve a merciful God, and in that moment, Jesus was extending that love in a morsel. And Judas Iscariot took the morsel, but not the love. You gonna take the morsel, or are you gonna take the love? If you knew somebody was gonna betray you, would you love them like that? We can't even love somebody that gives us bad customer service. <laughs> Blowing up Facebook. I can't believe I had to wait 10 minutes for my meal. I'm never going back there. It's true. We can't even love somebody that voted differently than we did. I heard an ouch and a groan. And let's make this real practical in light of the Supreme Court, can you love somebody that disagrees with you? That's hard. Can you love them if they disagree with you? I'm just gonna tell you about a conversation I had yesterday with my mom, and I love my mom. But my mom has been, for decades, uh, on the other side, and is an activist, and bless her, at 91, still an activist. Uh, she just stopped knocking on doors for what I would not agree with. So I knew that Friday was going to be a difficult day for her. I didn't want to call her, because <laughs> we've gotten into heated arguments before, and I didn't want to take the bait. Well, my wife and I were sitting last night, and we were like, let's just call mom and tell her we love her. We picked up the phone. This is not to say that we're anything special. We're just giving you an example of what it looks like in the moment, a real practical example. We picked up the phone and said, mom, I know Friday was really tough for you. She started to cry, and we just said, we just want you to know we love you. Can we do that? We can. We can love our enemy because of what 1 John 4 says. We love because we were loved first. Our love for our enemies, our love for the people that disagree with us is simply because it's an overflow of Jesus's love in the first place. So don't say you can't because this says you can't. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Note, Jesus still in complete control. Satan was not in control. Satan just found a place to live right there in Judas. Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Go, be gone, get it over with. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. The previous explanation of how they were sitting at the table, that explains why nobody knew, because it wasn't this big proclamation. They thought Judas had the money bag, and Jesus was telling them, buy what you need for the feast, or maybe he should give something to the poor. Disciples weren't putting two to two together, or two and two together. I've heard it both ways. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he, Judas Iscariot, immediately went out, and it was night. Don't you think John could have just said, and he went out? He left. He was like, peace out. He could, he could have said that. But he ended with, and it was night. And the reason that's the title of the message is because he was leaving Jesus to go into the darkness forever. Picture this. 
sitting next to the Savior of the world, having been with him for three and a half years, having seen all the miracles, having been to every sermon, having Jesus' back up against his chest, feeding him in the honor seat, the morsel of food, and then he gets up and he walks away from Jesus forever into the darkness. That's us. Were it not for the mercy and grace of God, that would be us. John chapter three says, we love the darkness. Right after it says, for God so loved the world, he sent his only son. Then he says, oh, and y'all love the darkness. Were it not for God's mercy, we would not choose light. Judas chose darkness. We get to choose the light of Jesus. So what direction are you heading? You headed toward the darkness or you headed toward the light? Final point, are you dying to the darkness or are you living to the light? What a great choice. Are you dying? Because one of them will take you to death eternally and one of them will take you to life forever with Jesus in heaven where we get to be in a place with a person of Jesus Christ. Because happiness and blessing, let's go full circle. That is a full circle. I don't even have a protractor and I just drew that. <laughs> happiness and blessing does not come in the darkness. Happiness and blessing comes in the light of Jesus. So we have to make sure that we fight the night, we fight the darkness, we resist the devil, and he flees from our lives. Because in our original state, we love the darkness. So it requires a rebirth. It requires being reborn. And I don't know where you are, but Jesus makes us new. So if you are sitting here going, hey, I'm, I'm walking toward the darkness. I've been walking toward the darkness my entire life. I'm not walking toward the light. We have a merciful God who is willing to make you new right now. That's incredible. That's the message we get to take out of here. And I do know this, that whatever Jesus is doing, he does it because he loves us. And whatever Satan is doing, he does because he doesn't love us. Satan entered Judas and Judas walked into the night forever. If this doesn't sound like a warning in scripture, I don't know what does. Flee from the darkness. And the good news is Jesus can overcome anyone's resistance. So here's your opportunity to trust in the one who is light, who God sent to die for our sins, to take our place on the cross for the penalty that we deserve for our sins, and then he raised him from the dead. Let's pray. Because I'm gonna give you an opportunity to walk in the light right now. Father, thank you. Thank you that we have your word that your word never changes, and that you have overwhelming, never-ending love for us. I pray, Lord, for those who are thinking they're walking in the darkness, that, that you would rescue them. Just like Paul says, you rescued us out of darkness and brought us into the light of Christ. If that's you, you can repeat after me right now. Lord, I don't wanna be like Judas. Lord, I don't wanna walk in the darkness anymore. Lord, I, I trust that Jesus is who he says he is. 
and that you raised him from the dead. I confess this, that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Will you rescue me right now? Will you take me out of the darkness and into your marvelous light? Save me. If that was you. Everybody's eyes are closed. That's good. You don't have to. This is a celebration. But with your eyes closed, if that was you and you just trusted in Jesus to take you out of the darkness and into the light, will you raise your hand as high as you can get it? We've got Bibles we want to give to you. Thank you. Raise your hand. Because there's nothing better than saying, I am a follower of Christ and I will obey based upon what you've done in my life. Our prayer team will be up here at the end to pray for you or anybody. And finally, if you've already trusted in Jesus, the, the mandate's pretty clear. Go, serve, love. It's really easy to love people that love you back. It's really easy to love people who agree with you on everything. It's really easy to go out to dinner in an echo chamber. Yeah, what he said. But it's hard to put a towel over your arm, and wash somebody's feet that disagrees with you. It's hard to wash somebody's feet spits on the ground in front of you. It's hard to love at Thanksgiving or 4th of July or whatever party you get together with your family. It's hard to love the ones who voted differently. But we have an example of Jesus, the one who had infinite mercy on us, who loves us to the end so we can go out and love others to the end. So go, love, serve, wash somebody's feet, tell them about the light of Jesus, and ask God to rescue them. He's faithful to do that. Father, thank you. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for the lives that you rescued at mission camp. Thank you for the lives you will rescue. We give you all the glory. We're amazed that we get to open our arms and say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.